That was some good worship, man. It's a good worship. Um, we're just going to go ahead and dive into the text. Uh, as you know, we're in our series, the, 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 the conclusion of a series that we've been talking about on Mark, and it's Jesus more than we hoped. And last week, Pastor Philip preached about the authority of Jesus. And in this passage, we see that in his authority, he communicates something that we need to know. Now, before we dig in, uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll be passing out Bibles right now. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, consider that as our gift to you. Um, if you don't, if you do have one and just happen to leave it at home, just leave it here so that someone else could, could be able to benefit from the gift. But we're going to dive right into Mark chapter 13, and we're going to read the entire chapter. I ask that you read silently with me as I read aloud. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it's not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. It is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you, for at that time it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have put them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you see that the abomination of desolation standing there, it should not be. Let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter. For those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been seen from the beginning of creation until now and will never be seen again, will never be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, see here, the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, and you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. 
learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at the crowning of the rooster or early in the morning, otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. So if there was a title to this message, if there's a a point that we want to start off, it would be the idea of looking and living, that we are called to look and live, to look rightly and to live ready. Now, what does that mean? Alfred Nobel was a Swedish businessman, chemist, engineer, and industrialist who had more than 355 patents. If, you, if the name Nobel sounds familiar, it's because the Nobel Prizes were named after him. But what makes this story so interesting is, is, not how, is how he got to the place where he changed his life in, in, in order to change his legacy. See, it's, this is kind of an urban legend. It has not been corroborated, but when you research it, you kind of find this thing popping up. But it's an interesting story for us to take into account that when his brother Ludwig died in France in 1888, a French newspaper mistakenly printed a rather brutal obituary of his brother Alfred. And the, in the obituary headline, the merchant of death is dead. You see, Nobel was the one who invented dynamite, and he invited, he invented other explosives that, that what his obituary said was that he discovered new ways to mutilate and kill. Imagine reading your own obituary while you're alive, printed by someone else, and it's not very flattering. I'm sure to be called the merchant of death did something about him, and so inspired by this new realization, He took his wealth to develop prizes that would be given to people who would enhance human society instead of destroying it. And the one that we are probably most familiar with is the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, this this story provides an interesting question that we need to take into account. How does a preview of the end influence how we live today? If we know what the end is going to be, how do we live today? How do we live now? So what you see here in in Mark chapter 13, you see what's called an eschatological or a fancy way of saying an end times passage. And this is one of the harder passages in the text because of the nature of this conversation, the Jesus conversation with his disciples. But what Jesus is communicating to us really is about a new era in redemptive history, that you have creation you have the fall, and in the midst of that, you have the redemptive work. you got Jesus Christ, the good news, coming to restore humanity with, with God the Father. And then in the end, you have this thing called fulfillment. 
And what you see is he's pointing to this, and it's also a dual prophecy because he's also talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And, and so Mark is giving a story within a larger story that is communicated throughout Scripture, God's grand narrative. But, but what Jesus is communicating is a, is a point here that Jesus is providing an instruction on how to be prepared for the end times, not only for both present believers, but those in the future. So yeah, it might be a little heavy today. You're like, man, I came to church today, I'm hearing about the end times, like for real. But there's a great hope that we have in understanding how the story ends. Now, now if, you're, if you're like, if you've lived enough and, or you caught up with memory, there have been plenty of people who predicted the end of days. It's like ever since the beginning where everybody's been trying to predict the end of the world since times began. So, you know, you hear about the big one. You know, they've been trying to predict the big one in California, the big earthquake that's supposed to change all of California. California's supposed to break off and become an island. They've been predicting that for centuries. Or, for those of us who are old enough to remember Y2K. Now, see, if you remember Y2K, for those of you that don't remember, there was a and, and for my computer guys, I'm, I'm going to try to make this as basic as possible. But what's happened was when computers were invented, you know, when they set the date, the dates were coordinated so that it would keep going in order. But they did not understand what was going to happen when the, when the computer's clock changed to 2000. Because the numbers were set, okay, once 1999 comes, they thought that they were all going to go back to 1900. And everybody, all the computers were going to think it's 1900 instead of 2000. And so they invested billions of dollars trying to solve this thing because they thought that the infrastructure of the society was going to go down globally. That the world was going to end. That nuclear missiles could just start shooting off because they lost control. I mean, people were predicting it was crazy. I was trying to watch it. I was watching the show, you know, We Love the 90s and stuff like that. And I'm explaining it to my kids because, you know, my kids are born in the 2000s, and they had no idea. And he's just, my son, my oldest son was just laughing. Like, y'all really believe that? <laughs> I'm like, yes, sir. People were legitimately scared. It was like some type of in-world type stuff. Like, we thought it was going to be New World Order, Mad Max Society, everybody's doomed. Like, we did not know what was going to happen. But then 1999 happened. And then we partied like it was 1999. Some of y'all get that later or listen to a Prince album. But people were literally thinking because it's like, we're going to party because it's going to be done after that. But then the clock struck midnight. It was 2000. And as the song, uh, old song says, time kept on ticking. We predicted the big one and we still didn't see it. You see it in movies. You see it in music. We see it in arts. But the question that we have to realize is, will we be ready? And so this passage points to something larger that I think we can really take hold of and really be encouraged of, and it's the fact that Jesus is Lord over history. The fact that he has the authority to communicate what's going to happen is based on the authority that he has as Lord, as ruler, as king. And we need to take hold of this idea that God is the ruler of over all aspects of the human existence. He rules over creation in the garden, and he rules over the new creation revealed in Revelation. And that should ultimately give us hope. Most of the time when we watch shows, and I remember 
as a young Christian, you know, you watch some Christian channels and you got them people talking about the end times. And, you know, you start watching all this stuff. And at one time I was watching Nostradamus. It was this guy, ancient, like, and he was always getting predictions. And we would be frightened over what the end times would be, missing the fact that Jesus is Lord over all of history. And if Jesus is Lord over history and our lives are in his hands, we should find hope in that instead of fear. Amen. That it should change the way that we see the future, but also change the way in which we live today. So Jesus is communicating to this, that we should have hope in a broken and fallen world. And the thing that this text is teaching us is to be prepared and alert for the Lord's return. His warning is intentional because he doesn't want us to be either deceived nor anxious. He wants us to be ready. So what should we expect? So starting on verses 1 through 8, we see this idea of deception. That there's a reality that, that, that many will come and claim the authority and the divinity, the godness of Jesus Christ. But this authority and this divinity, the godness, belongs to Jesus alone. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Throughout the entire theme of, of Mark, we see that Jesus, Son of God, there's an authority that belongs to him and him alone. And many are going to try to ride that title. Jesus warns us to watch out. Because many will fall for this, and many have. If you look throughout history, we make sayings all the time. We joke around saying terms like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. But if we remember the context of the Kool-Aid is 3,000 people dying because they followed a false messiah. Jonestown. Many will claim the name of Christ. They will claim to be Christ when actually they're false messiahs. But here's the crazy thing. When Jesus says this, he is warning that we got to understand these are the signs of the times. When we hear of wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against other nations, don't that sound familiar? Jesus commands us not to be alarmed because we live in a broken and fallen world. If you notice one thing in, in, in history, even, you know, there were a lot of people who, who had a lot of hope about about Christian society being transformed and, and humanity realizing how the potential that they have in great, and then all of a sudden, World War I broke out. And it shattered a lot of expectations. And then World War II broke out. It shattered a lot of expectations. But the reality is that Jesus is saying that these things must take place because we live in a fallen, a broken world and how it is displayed within human history up until today, we'll continue, to, well, to, continue sorry, to intensify, but they must take place. These things are a reflection of the age, the continuous age of human brokenness. Or as I like to tell my college folks, in the age of human jacked up this. I know it's not a word, but we jacked up, people. We've been jacked up since the beginning of time, since the fall. Once the fall happened, we all got jacked up. When the first loss of life takes place between brothers, we know we jacked up. When you read a story in the news that a guy shot and killed his girlfriend or his wife, we know we jacked up. We didn't just start being messed up. We've been messed up from the beginning. But he is taking or setting the stage for his purposes. And then he also first says we see natural disasters and famines. And Jesus is saying that these things like wars and rumors of war are not signs of the end, but they're, pro 
pointing to the beginning of birth pains. And I think it's interesting that Jesus is using the description of birth pains as, 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 uh, as the, 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 the metaphor of what's going to happen because in these pains, these pains set the stage of new life. And there's a hope to that. So in the midst of, G- of deception, Jesus is encouraging us to not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. But then we go down further in the text and you see persecution in verses 9 through 13 that the troubles are not just global. When you see the idea of deception, we're talking about on a global scale, but then he zeroes it down a little bit more. And you see this idea of there being personal troubles as well. And as a result, Jesus is commanding his disciples to be on your guard. He is warning the disciples that they will be handed over and betrayed and beaten because of Jesus. That his disciples would uh, experience persecution and we can expect the same. Now, we don't fully get the idea of persecution in the American context. Because we don't suffer the level of persecution that our brothers and sisters are around the world. It's not to say they can't happen here. But we're assembling openly, praising God openly, advertising openly when there are places around the world that have to do everything in silence, in secrecy. And this persecution will even lead to death by some and even betrayal by family. But here's the thing is that persecution is the means by which the gospel we share to all nations. Even as it costs us our lives, it will be spread. And what we are called to do is to endure to the end for the sake of Christ. This is how we know that the Christian faith is not for the weak. It is not a timid faith. It is not a coward's faith. But it is one of boldness and it is one that costs. So in the midst of persecution, Jesus encourages us, don't be anxious and endure. But then he warns us again about something else, and it's about tribulation. Now, see, this is difficult because he's also communicating a term that is present throughout Daniel, the abomination of desolation. And I don't have enough time to go further detail, but uh, it is connected to living in idolatry in such detestable living that is offensive to God and ultimately leads to destruction. But what we need to understand is that in the day of tribulation, it will be intense. So because of that intense, we need to be on our God, our guard. And the imagery that Jesus is providing is that when tribulation comes, you're not going to have time to get your belongings. You're not going to have time to flee quickly. It's going to be intense. And as believers, we can hope that God will preserve his people. But also, if you notice in this text, Jesus gives a second warning for those who seek to appeal to the hurting and the broken. And by providing false hope, and they will do some great things, but in the end it will lead people astray. So he gives a second warning about the false prophets and the false messiahs, and Jesus is saying, watch. So what can we take from the encouragement of Jesus in the midst of tribulation is that his people will be preserved. So what should we find hope in? It's in the hope that Jesus is coming back. So I'm going to as we, as we dig down in this text, we see that in verses 24 through 27, that Jesus is coming back in glory for his people. This is something that should encourage us, that there is a great beauty in seeing that Jesus will come back in the fullness of his power and his glory for his people. 
There is something when you see the glory of God there that, that you see a connection between this uh, part and verse 10 where we talk about the church, talking about big believe, big C, believers all over the world that has to experience tribulation, that the gospel is being spread throughout the nations because of tribulation, and God is going to gather all of them up together. And he's going to do it so we can see that glorious vision of worship in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. That Jesus is, is showing the gospel got to be spread. There's going to be persecution, but I'm coming back for my people. And when you come back, you will see this vision as John communicates in Revelation. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they crowd out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Could you imagine seeing this today? Just imagine seeing Jesus coming back to gather his people. Could you imagine turning on the news or watching ESPN, and all of a sudden, because it's so big time, the story flips. That you're watching the news and the story flips. You're scrolling through social media and the story flips. Somebody's Facebook Live, I don't have my cell phone, I lift it up here. But you pull out your phone and you're recording what's happening in the sky. That you see the skies opening up and you're seeing the one who is faithful and true coming back for his people, coming back to set the stage right, coming back to, to restore brokenness, to restore us from the, the jacked upness of human society. Can you imagine seeing it on IG, on Instagram? Could you see it on someone's Snapbook picture or, or, or someone's Snapchat? You look at it like, man, Jesus coming back, y'all. I'm ready. You know, we're seeing the work of the Lord. This should be something for us to celebrate because we got the bad news, but now we get the good news. And the bad news points us to the good news that Jesus is coming back. This is awesome to look at. But it's also something else that's encouraging. Because Jesus is the Lord of history, we understand that this is also in God's timing. And so as we look at verses 28 through 37, while the time is near, and yes, we should be paying attention to the seasons, just like what Jesus says in the parable of the fig tree in the, in the chapter, we need to understand that no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. But it does not change the fact that we should be ready and prepared for it. See, I remember when I was in college, now I like to argue. But I'm sitting with my friends, and I'm at my friend's house, and some person was over here, and he literally talking about when Jesus is coming back. Like, he know. So if I don't like to argue, there's a very certain clue. I start stuffing food in my mouth. Because if I'm so busy chewing, that means I'm not talking. And I just saw a whole bunch of pizza over there. I probably ate a whole piece. Now, granted, I'm in my 20s. I could do that at that point. And I'm just like, hmm, for real, huh? For real, huh? Really? You okay, man? And then I left, and I'm like, this dude is off his rocker. I don't, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I do know that ain't true. We, but we should be paying attention to Jesus because we understand that it's on God's timing, and no one knows the return except for the Father. So then how should we live? How should we live in light of this? One, we cannot be surprised in our broken and fallen world that it manifests itself in so many ways until Christ returns. However, instead of despair, 
Cry out the words of Revelation 22:20. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, we should listen to the words of Christ in verses 33 through 37. And that means living on mission. We talk about being God's family on mission. But when we are God's family on mission, we are living for our master in a way that will make sure we are ready for his return. Are we spreading the name of Jesus? Are we proclaiming the good news of Jesus where we live, work, and play? Are we on mission pointing people to Jesus, being salt and light? And please note, I am talking to those of us in here who claim to be believers because I've got something to say to those who do not yet believe. Are we intentional about living on mission for Jesus? Because the reality is, is that if Jesus is the Lord of history and he speaks with all authority as we talked about last week, then we have to be about living for the kingdom and living for our king. And if Jesus is our king as we claim him to be, then we need to be alert, watchful, ready, and working. But for those who do not know Jesus, your response is simple. Come to Christ. Seek him as your Lord, Savior, and King while there is time. Surrender your life to him. Because when the end of days comes, when that time comes, it will be too late. Now, we know it's hurricane season because we live in Charleston. And we have the opportunity because you get the warnings to be prepared in advance. You get the news alerts. You get the warnings. You get the press conferences. And you have a choice. You can either evacuate or hunker down. But there's going to come a point in time when the hurricane hits. It's too late to get out. It's too late to change your mind. And you're stuck in a state that if you're in a devastating hurricane, you can't leave in the middle of it. You are now subject to the authority and the power of that storm. You could have left and saved your life when there was time. That time for salvation is now. As a former coach, as an athlete, we recognize that there's truly no off-season. There's a season when you play, and there's a season when you train. If you're in college athletics, if you're waiting for football season to get in shape, you're already behind. You should be working in the winter. You should be working in the spring. You should be working in the summer to prepare you for the work of the fall. And so as we think about how we should live, and as we should look for Christ's return and live ready for it, I want to I conclude with this hymn. Don't worry, I will not sing it. <laughs> Sound like a wounded animal. But it's called, What If It Were Today? Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified, 
over this whole earth scattered wide, what if it were today? Faithful and true would he find us here, if he should come today? Watching in gladness and not in fear, if he should come today? Signs of his coming multiply, morning light breaks in eastern sky. Watch for the time is drawing nigh, what if it were today? Glory, glory, my heart will bring. Glory, glory, we, when we shall crown him king. Glory, glory, haste to prepare the way. Glory, glory, Jesus will come today. Let's pray.